Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Welcome back to Gather by the Ghost Light, original stories for radio theater. I'm Jonathan Cook, your host, producer, and sometimes voice actor on this thing. And on this glorious day, we are driving into episode number 32 with a dark comedic play written by playwright John Busser. Mr. Busser is an actor, writer, and graphic artist based in Ohio. And he is the co-runner of the Cleveland Public Theater's Writer's Workshop called The Dark Room, which helps new and seasoned writers test drive their new work for an audience of fellow writers and actors. And today you're going to hear his short play called A Wicked Slice. In this dark comedy, you're going to meet three golfers who are currently searching for a lost golf ball. But what they come across as they venture off the fairway makes them realize that maybe they should have just considered taking the penalty stroke instead. Now, gather around the ghost light, sit back and enjoy... This is A Wicked Slice, written by John Busser. And be sure to stick around after the story to hear an interview with this writer. It's around here somewhere. Oh, just give it up and take the penalty stroke, old boy. <laughs> You'd like that, wouldn't you? No, I'd just like to finish our game sometime today. Are you sure this is where it went in? Pretty sure. We've been looking for 10 minutes. You know, maybe a rabbit, you know, took it down into its cave. Rabbits don't live in caves, Alan. Bats live in caves. Bears live in caves. A rabbit can too. A rabbit lives in a warren. What the hell's a warren? It's like a series of tunnels that connect to larger underground... Caves? Small ones. Arrest my case. Face facts, Steve. Your ball is in a series of rabbit caves. Take the penalty and let's go. I feel a martini at the clubhouse coming on. I know it's here somewhere. Maybe it bounced off a tree in that direction. Oh, good God, man. It's one penalty stroke. I am this close to beating you, Alan. One stroke could cost me the game and our wager. Are you two betting again? That's just a small side bet. Lunch at the clubhouse. Loser pays for all three. Including the bar tab. And I intend to drink his wallet dry today, George. So keep looking. Hey, guys. Guys, look. What's that? What's what, George? There, at the base of that big oak tree, left of the bushes. What is that? Is that a person? Yeah, it is. Wait a minute. Wait, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I think... I think that's Ted Patterson. Patterson? From the third floor? Yeah, that is Patterson. What the hell's he doing over there? Oh, it looks like he's punching the ground or something. Right, let's go see what he's up to. Now, hold on a second, Alan. Something isn't right. He's holding something. Is that a... Jesus, that's a knife. You're right. That is a knife. Oh, oh 
Oh my god! I, I think he's stabbing somebody with it. Who? How should I know? I, who did he uh, partner up with? Uh, Crenshaw, Davis, and Malik, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's Crenshaw, all right. He was wearing that god-awful lime green polo, remember? This is ridiculous. That can't be Crenshaw. That shirt doesn't look lime green. Well, now it doesn't. And that is definitely Roger Crenshaw lying there, getting stabbed. You're imagining things, Alan. Patterson's probably just digging a hole or something. <laughs> yeah, he is. In Crenshaw's chest, I'm telling you, we're witnessing a murder. <laughs> Well, this is damn inconvenient. I was going to look over there next. Why the hell would he murder Crenshaw? He's like the nicest guy in the whole office. Well, let me just go over there and ask the mass murderer what his beef is with Crenshaw. We'll clear this right up, idiot. What do you mean mass murderer? Patterson's only killed one guy. That we know of. You see Davis or uh, Malik anywhere? No. You really think he killed them all? I think if you turn your golf partner into a Swiss cheese platter, you can't leave witnesses. And I'm pretty sure they're not hanging out at the pro shop buying a box of Slazzers. Look at him go. He's really on a tear, isn't he? Nice form, though. You gotta give him that. What? His form. If you watch him, you'll see. He's got a really nice follow-through. There, right there. See? That's terrible. Oh, don't kid yourself. If I put that kind of form into my drive, I'd take six strokes off my game. How can you joke like that? Who's joking? So what do we do? Well, obviously, there's only one thing we can do. Ask to play through? Exactly. There's a co-worker over there being butchered right in front of us. It's going to be awkward just asking to play through. How do you even broach the subject? Tell him the clubhouse stopped serving lunch in an hour. And we're hungry. But shouldn't we, I don't know, call somebody about this? I call the groundskeeper. Someone's going to have to clean that up. I meant the authorities. What are they going to do? Crenshaw's already dead. And frankly... I don't want the rest of my day ruined filling out police reports. I don't think your day is going as bad as Crenshaw's. I don't think he cares at this point. Look, why don't we play through, finish the game, have some lunch, and then call the police from the clubhouse. Everybody gets what they want. Hey, I'm fine with that. I've got a better idea. Let me call them right now. Good man. Call the clubhouse and make a reservation for us in case we run late. Oh, oh shit, he sees us. Patterson's coming over here. Still with the knife. And he's... He's holding the bloody shoe. Oh, I think that's Crenshaw's foot still in it. You think? Shut up. Put your phone away. Uh, hi, fellas. Hey, Patterson. Ted, uh, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Nice day for golf, huh? <laughs> yeah. Sure is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing here in the woods? Green is that way. I'm looking for someone. Cinderella? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. No, I'm just looking for Davis. What about Malik? Isn't he with you two? Malik? Um, Malik isn't around anymore. I left him back at the water trap on the ninth hole. <laughs> He's still stuck there, huh? Not much of a golfer, is he? Or maybe a swimmer. Alan! Well, what about you? Why are you out here in the woods? Oh, that's Steve's fault. His swing was off. Sliced it right into the trees. Alan! Looking for my Titleist. I lost it here in the woods. He's not the only one that lost it here in the woods. I am gonna kill you. You may have to get in line. Oh, well, how's your game going? You partner with Crenshaw, right? Where is he, by the way? Crenshaw? 
Oh, yeah. Good old Crenshaw. Yeah, he's around, you know. Here and there. Some here, some there. <laughs> Maybe you should get back to him, you know, before he leaves. Oh, he's not going anywhere. At least not on foot. Say, Ted, would you mind terribly if he played through? We're in kind of a hurry. I didn't find my ball yet. Ah, let's just go, huh? I'll cut you a break. Now you're just doing that on purpose. That's a really nice club you've got there, Alan. A five iron, isn't it? Oh, this? Yeah, this is my mashie. My father gave it to me. It's his lucky club. Oh, you betcha. I can really do some damage with this baby. Really? Can I see? Uh, well, you look like you got your hands full at the moment. <laughs> You're right. Here, I'll trade you. Uh, no. No, thanks. I, I gave up bloody loafers for Lint. Here you go. Just uh, take the club. I'll give it back. You know what? I'm good. Just uh, drop it off at the clubhouse when you're done. <laughs> you're a pal. Hey, we should get going. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you're anxious to find the rest of your party. Or at least the rest of Crenshaw. I'm so gonna hit you. Ted, if you should find my title, let's give a shout out, would you? Somebody! Over here! Yeah, like that. I think I just found Davis. Guys, it's been nice. See you around. Well, I don't know about you two, but I have to go see if that's Crenshaw. You want to see a dead body? It's not like it's my first. Excuse me? Where have you been, George? We've all seen dead bodies before. I haven't. Then today's your lucky day. Come on, follow me. Wait a second. What if Patterson comes back this way? Uh, he's too busy killing Davis. Come on, it'll be fun. I suppose just this once. Oh, can I take a picture of him? Yeah, as long as you send me a copy. I want to post it on the club homepage. Headline, Patterson makes hole in one. Or three. Guys, 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 you are not going to believe what I found. We know, you found Crenshaw. Dead as a doornail, right? <laughs> I found something way better than a dead Crenshaw. He killed McCluskey from accounting? Ha, you wish. What did you find? Oh, I found Crenshaw, all right. Sliced open six ways to Sunday, but there, lying right in the middle of his gutted torso for all the world to see... My Titleist! Bingo! Well, where is it? Don't tell me you left it there. Oh, please. I wasn't about to touch it. You don't want to take the penalty stroke? Then you have to play it where it lies. Really? Course rules. You don't like it, then you go over there and take it off his spleen. I'd wear gloves, though. Nah, I'll play it from there. Come on, my free lunch ain't gonna win itself. It's kind of sunk into his cavity, though. I'd suggest chipping it. What do you think, a wedge? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Go with the wedge. Thanks, buddy. Go with the wedge. You are unbelievable. <laughs> I know. Everyone knows that you're supposed to use a seven iron for this kind of thing. How much you want to bet he shanks it? Again with the betting? I'll wager a 20. You're on. You have the 20 on you? You know I'm good for it. That was A Wicked Slice, written by John Busser. It was performed by Adam Cowart as Steve, Will Lane as George, Jonathan Cook as Alan, and Matt Hoffman as Patterson. Right, so with me now is the writer of this story, the amazing playwright, 
John Busser. How are you, John? Amazing. The amazing playwright, yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's a that's a lot to live up to, though. So, uh, so uh, you know, for people out there who aren't familiar with you and your work, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in writing and your other creative endeavors? Um, well, uh, way back in uh, uh, the late 90s, I kind of got into theater late compared to uh, a lot of my contemporaries. But uh, I was in my mid-30s looking for something to do, tried out for a play, got in. And so I had been doing theater since 98. And at one point, I think it was around 2006, um, I came across a, a place, um, Cleveland Public Theater. They had a program that they run called The Dark Room. And it was started by a, a number of playwrights. And what it was for was for playwrights to bring their scripts in and the audience um, of people there who were either other writers or actors would get copies of scripts, go up on a stage and just do a cold read of it. And the purpose of it was to help the writers uh, out by being able to hear their work out loud and then they could take it from there and you know oh okay that worked that didn't uh need to punch this up that kind of thing and it it became like this thing that i would go to every month and i went there as a reader originally um and the more i went there the more i would see people bringing in like really great stuff and i started to say to myself Oh, I'd love to try that. And that's what got me to try writing a piece. And I was, I was very nervous bringing that first one in. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it got a, a nice response and that sort of encouraged me to keep going. And uh, so I was going every month after a while, uh, the person who was currently running it had to step down and since I'd been coming every month, they asked if I wanted to help run it. So um, so I sort of co-run it now every month. And it, it keeps me busy because I want to make sure that I have a new piece every month. Um, and I, being as I'm a very slow writer, I see some of these playwrights that, you know, they'll do a, a play a day for 30 days or... You know, it's it's July and they've already got 163 plays under their belt. I'm lucky if I have 12 a year. But, yeah, that's that's what got me into doing the writing. And and I like to think that Darkroom helps writers. I know it's helped me um, with, you know, hearing my stuff out loud because I'll see what works and what doesn't. It's, it's one thing to read it in your head. You know what your intent is. But to hear an actor's interpretation of your words, you can really zero in on what worked and what didn't. And that that's the whole point of Darkroom. And that's why I love doing it. Yeah, that sounds like a great service for writers. And I'm assuming um, this is all for just local writers, which do a Darkroom, because you all obviously want the writer in the room listening so they get the value of that feedback. 
So it isn't like something you do world. You don't do like submission calls for it. It's just if you're local and you have a play. Correct. It was it was a uh, uh, for local Cleveland writers. Although I will say that during the pandemic, we went to a Zoom format, and at that point we opened it up, um, and so uh, we did have writers from across the country who would submit things because they could get in on the Zoom call. Um, and, you know, but once we went back to live performances again, you know, that by necessity came to an end. Um, but uh, it, it was it was kind of cool to get some pieces from other parts of the country. But right now we, we pretty much do just local Cleveland writers. So let's dive into the story the audience just heard. It's your, your play called A Wicked Slice. Uh, you got these three golfers. Uh, they're looking for a lost mm-hmm. golf ball, and while they're looking for it, they come across this coworker murdering another coworker, and then the situation just gets a little funny, even though it's morbid. Uh, and it, you know, it's very funny. It's got a clever title. Uh, each character stands out and is different. And uh, I'm a big fan of dark humor. And so, just from the writer's perspective, is there any background info for this play? Like, wh- how did the story develop in your head and get on the page? I have a tendency um, to focus on uh, one comedies, uh, two dark comedies because I, I tend to like things a little extreme. Um, but funny enough, um, if I can go back to the dark room thing for a moment. This play was a perfect example of how Darkroom helps a, a playwright. When I first wrote this piece, um, the dialogue I had for the three golfers, I was listening to the, the actors perform it. And the, the choices they made as actors were completely legitimate. But as I was listening to it, I realized that is not what I'm intending at all. And I realized where the problem was. The problem was with my dialogue. So I went back and did almost a complete rewrite to get the right tone so that any actor picking this up would have a much easier time zeroing in on what I was going for. And when I brought it back, uh, the actors really picked up on it. And what I was looking for more was a uh, three guys who are faced with this horrific situation. and are completely blasé about it. And in fact, they feel inconvenienced and are wondering what they should do about this. They're they're watching a coworker get murdered and are trying to figure out what's the best way to play through um, or at least broach the subject with the murder so that they can continue their game. Um, So yeah, that's, that's, those kind of situations tend to appeal to me because I like to see how dark I can take it, but still keep it funny. Yeah. Now I know uh, this play has been, it was originally written as a stage play and it's been staged before. Has, have you had a chance to see it fully performed and produced? And was there any, anything notable that any theater did that kind of stuck out in your mind? That was kind of unique that maybe they thought of that you hadn't thought of or anything like that. I've, I've seen uh, two productions of it. Um, one was uh, by a theater in Columbus uh, named Mad Lab. They, they tend to 
uh, like my stuff, um, which is really nice because they, they like going for um, the odd and macabre. And I saw their production and really, really enjoyed what they did with it. And then I got a chance to see uh, a production of it up here in Cleveland that I actually had a hand in directing. Um, so it was, it was nice to be able to have a little more of a hand on it, but I will say the the one in Columbus was nice because it was nice to just be able to give it to somebody and see what they could do with it. Um, and they, they exceeded my expectations. So I was very happy with, with, uh, what they did. It's always the dream of every playwright really when you write something you can hand it off and then see what someone else does with it and when you see it if it's just if they did something amazing with it it's just always such a great feeling when you see it uh, but you know there's something about dark comedies it tends to be this successful genre and i know that you've written a lot of dark comedies uh you know and i'm curious to get your thoughts what do you think it is about dark comedies that draws people in and keeps their interest and in, you know making light and humor of a dark situation people still enjoy it while and if that happened in real life they might not you know they might not behave that same way i think there's a, a sort of a, a naughtiness factor to it you know you're you're laughing at something that you really shouldn't be but because you're seeing it being acted out it's like okay, I guess it is okay to laugh at this. Um, there's so many subjects out there that people are almost afraid to acknowledge that they find it funny that when somebody presents it out there, oh, okay, somebody else thinks this is funny too, so it's okay for me to laugh, so it's kind of a relief. I think it's the same thing with why people like horror movies. Uh, there's a there's a release there, you know, it's like you're seeing this horrific, uh, horrific events being, you know, uh, portrayed in the movie. And yet you can still really enjoy it because it's like, it's not really happening in real life. It's okay. It's okay to just enjoy it. And I, I think that sometimes I think a lot of people have a much darker sense of humor than they might be willing to admit in public. Um, I certainly do, and and most of the people I know tend to feel the same way. I mean, I know not everybody does, but and and speaking of which, so one of your other plays that I read, um, a dark comedy, it's children's letters to Satan, and uh, just so people out there kind of know what this play is about, it's a, a cast of kids, and it's a series of very short monologues. And basically, they're reading their letter that was intended for Santa, but due to a typo, it goes to Satan instead. And it's a, it's a clever concept. And I'm, I was curious, because I know your your description in the cast has all kids aged around 6 to 13. And from what I understand, this play has been staged. And while a lot of the monologues are harmless, there's some that are kind of, you know, a little, little inappropriate. And I was, I was wondering, 
the theaters that produced this play, did they actually cast kids or did they cast adults who sort of played kids and, you know, let the audience suspend disbelief? No, we we did cast adults. Um, it's been done twice and both times uh, it was cast with adults playing the kids, which I think is is I'm I'm sort of at odds with what's going to be funnier for people to see little kids talking about this kind of dark subject matter or adults playing kids doing this, this dark subject matter. Um, if, if I could get some, some kids that would be willing to do it and, and, you know, their parents' permission, um, it would be interesting to see what it would be like with actual kids doing the monologues. Uh, I know there's some terrific, child actors out there I, i've seen them here in cleveland um and they they i i've seen kids in dramas where they're they're doing like very heavy material so i know what i've written is pretty innocuous if not a little on the dark side but uh I, I think some kids doing these these monologues would be very funny. But right now, it's only been adults playing kids. Right. And and I ask because on, on this podcast, I've had audio plays where I've cast kids. And anytime I release those episodes, the same day or either the next day, I always have parents that reach out to me through Messenger or email and... They always say, "Hey, I got kids, you know." Uh, and, and since you know, sometimes you have you need kid actors. Could you you know let us know when you're auditioning? for kid roles. And so when I came across this play and I saw the age rangers, I was like, Oh, this might be, you know, in this holiday theme, this might be a cool one to do around Christmas time. And then I started reading and I was just like, ah, man, some of the parents might freak out if I send them this monologue and, and ask if they'd be interested in doing it. But I, I don't know. And that's why I was curious. I was like, so I wonder how they did it on stage. You know, was it adult or did he actually get kids to do this? Cause I know I say that, you know, it's not, it, some of the monologues are a little inappropriate, but by that, I mean, it's a little different to hear kids say it, but it's no different than any other play out there that adults will be acting. Right, in. right. Yeah. So again, right now it's only been adults, but it it would be interesting to see some kids take a stab at it. So out of all, you've written what over sixty plays, or was it more than that? Um, now, right now, I I think I'm at eighty eight. Wow, that is amazing. I am nowhere close to that. You know, I I write a lot of short plays, but definitely that that's a a great feat there. But yet I've I've never pulled the trigger on a full length play yet. I've I've written all short plays. I think the longest I think the longest piece I've written is like twenty six pages. So they've all been short. I do like the 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 ten minute piece, the twenty minute piece. Um, one of these days I'll buckle down and and try a full length. Uh, so out of out of all these plays that you've written um, in in a wicked slice. What do you have going on right now? Is there is there any play productions going on that you want to plug? Or, or where can people see the next John Busser play in a theater near them? Right now, uh, I just had something done. My first uh, production in Perth, Australia uh, for the Short and Sweet Festival. Unfortunately, that's over with now. But uh, that was just in the last uh, few weeks. Um, and I've I've just been sending out plays all over the place. 
and that that was something else that that I've started doing in the last few years. For so many years, I was writing these plays, and then they just sit on my computer. I didn't do anything with them. And then I finally just got it into my head to start sending them out. And so that's what I've been doing. Um, and, you know, like every playwright, I get a, a good share of rejections, but you do get a, a piece accepted every once in a while, like this one here. And uh, so the dark room thing, you're still doing that every month? Yes. People in Cleveland should, should look into that. Any writers out there, um, if you're listening, definitely look into that and go get your work read on the stage and, and get that feedback and hear actors read your lines. Uh, and where's the best place for people to find you, like website, social media, anything like that? Um, right now, I'm uh, uh, most of a lot of my work, not all of it, but a lot of my work is uh, on uh, New Play Exchange. I also indulge in a lot of uh, uh, graphic arts and things. And so I have a, uh, a profile up on, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on it right now. Um, the Behance? Behance, thank you, uh, which has a lot of my work. And um, in fact, I started doing something. I noticed another playwright doing this and I thought, oh, that's really great. Um, he started creating like little mini posters for his plays. And so I started doing the same thing and I put them all up on Behance. And uh, it's been like a fun, you know, you have a written piece, but now I also have like a graphic representation of the play as well. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And thanks for letting me produce your awesome play, A Wicked Slice. Uh, keep writing plays because you write great stuff and uh and i'd kind of like to regroup a little bit later and, and talk about the children's letter to satan and see if you know that, like i said that might be a good one to do around christmas time on the podcast if you'd be interested in that if we could find the right way to present it whether it be kids or adults uh but we we could talk about that and and regroup a little bit later sure thank you all for listening and if you are associated with a theater and you would like to produce the play you heard today on your stage please send an email to gatheredbytheghostlight at gmail.com to get connected with the playwright. This program is supported in part by the Greater Augusta Arts Council through a grant from its partner agency, the National Endowment for the Arts. Intro and outro music, as always, is provided by artist JK47. And if you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard. Let us know, please. Leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And also, be sure to follow Gather by the Ghost Light on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. I'm Jonathan Cook, and as always, stay safe, and I'll see you next time we Gather by the Ghost Light. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.